You're listening to another episode of the Zag. Eric Soap here, continuing our series, talking to NLC alums who are doing some important and inspirational COVID frontline work. YT Bell is here, 2018 NLC Atlanta fellow. We saw each other in January. The word's a little different since then. Excited to catch up with her. Let's get to it. Yeah, YT, we... we Got to hang out in person without masks and kind of be near people back in the day in January 2020. What do you remember about those olden days? Yeah, it seems like it was just such a long time ago that we were in in uh, Texas preparing uh, to train um, the new class uh, out there in uh, Dallas, I think it was. Um yeah, so I, I remember <laughs> us not having to wear PPEs. Um, and us just being able to sit down and we, I remember us having dinner and just talking about, you know, what NLC meant to us and uh, how much we enjoyed being there, uh, as trainers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, things definitely changed. So give folks, folks the scoop about where you are and what you're working on these days. Yeah. So I am, uh, in Clarkson, Georgia, which is right outside of the city of Atlanta, um, maybe 10, 11 minutes max if we take the streetway. Uh, and I'm currently serving on the Clarkson City Council. And so one of the things that I'm doing around COVID-19 is really trying to bring awareness, but also um, making sure that people have access um, to testing. And so one of the things that I've done uh, as an elected official in the city is partner with uh, Ethne uh, Health, which is a local clinic uh, in the community that does a phenomenal work, and I definitely support their work. Um, and with them and a couple of nonprofits um, to kind of make sure that we had um, a scope of who had contracted COVID nineteen in Clarkson, uh, as well as those, um, and as well as work as a city and a full community on ways that we could combat it, uh, and then come up with preventative measures. And so people, including myself, have a lot of thoughts and opinions on Georgia right now, uh, given what the governor is choosing to do. What should we know about how city officials are managing what messages and edicts are coming from the state level? Yeah, so it's been quite difficult, honestly. Um, I serve on a council of seven, and all of us have different perspectives on what's going on. Um, being one of the more progressive ones on the council, uh, I certainly uh, have urged us to make sure that our residents know about like the orders that we put in place. And while that has been something that's coming down from the governor, we strongly encourage them to continue to social distance, uh, continue to wash their hands and quarantine um, if they're able uh, as long as possible until we can kind of get ahead on this because I don't think um, that we're at a clear point um, of bending over that curve enough for people to be going back personally. And then are you finding out about the governor's messages when the public does? Are you watching him in press conferences or do you get any heads up? Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. So he's doing press conferences as um, that are open to the public. And that's honestly where the local and state officials, I think, for the most part, are getting the information from when he does those live press conferences. And then in terms of the public participation in your city, are folks uh, mirroring some of the protests we've seen in other parts of the state in terms of wanting things to get open? What are you seeing in terms of public sentiment right now? Yeah, so we haven't seen protests, but what I can disclose and what I have seen is uh, as soon as the governor's orders um, were effective, we have seen a lot of our local businesses to open up, especially barbershops and hair salons immediately. 
Um, and I have some concerns about that. I know um, with some of the businesses that we have in the city, they are smaller businesses. So you can't have, you know, 10 to 20 people in there and say, you know, you're practicing social distancing, which is, I think, one of the requirements, uh, one of the suggestions and recommendations from the governor's office is that while you open these businesses, you also uh, practice social distancing, um, in which I'm certain that that's six feet apart. And I know for a fact that some of these establishments here could only have maybe four or five people in there and be six feet apart. Um, but I've heard um, from mail carriers uh, as well as other uh, allies in the community that some of these businesses have had more than that. And that concerns me as far as uh, how rapidly our numbers are going to go up significantly as far as um, individuals that are going to test positive for COVID-19 or illustrate those symptoms. And then is there any state funding or any guidelines on enforcement for folks and businesses that aren't practicing the six feet? Absolutely not. There no. are no enforcement. <laughs> wow. <laughs> okay. So then yeah. if a citizen calls that in, what do they even call that in to right now? Yeah. So that is what we're trying to grapple with as a city. Um, because really, it's the order that they can go back into business, and it's a recommendation or a suggestion or an encouragement that they're six feet. There is no mm-hmm. consequence if they don't abide by, and there are no enforcement. Uh, and so, for us, we're really trying to, um, you know, get our city around encouraging the business owners to make sure they're practicing social distancing, washing their hands, and even taking any preventive methods because they could get sick too. So we um, now I that's a few businesses that I just disclosed where that I don't think are practicing social distancing, but there are others that have come up with their own preventive measure. I know for a fact that there's some business owners that have um, making a mandate if you come into their business, they're going to check their temperature at the door um, with their um, uh, temperature gun, but they don't have to touch you or anything. Uh, and then some are giving gloves and face masks for those that don't have them before they enter into their establishment. So some are taking it very seriously, and others aren't. Yeah. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more with YT about being a local elected official in these COVID times. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Zag. We'll be right back. YT, what did your council decide on how to proceed with meetings? How has that been working? Oh, wow. The meeting conversation. <laughs> so in Georgia as a whole, I'll give that a holistic synopsis first. Uh, so either municipalities and uh, councils have been having meetings or they haven't been having meetings. Uh, And so ours was up for grabs. At first, we immediately um, created an order around COVID-19 to show um, our residents how proactive we were being about um, reducing the spread. Um, Some of us wanted to meet weekly, and I was was one of those someones because I just, I think that the public needs to know that this is um, taxpayer dollars at work on a consistent basis to make sure um, their well-being and safety uh, is a priority for the city. And then there were council members that only wanted to meet when we had regular scheduled work session and meetings. Uh, and due to just the numbers and how they fall, uh, we met once a month uh, for work sessions and um, uh, regular council meetings throughout this process. And they were done through a teleconference, so not even virtually um, could people see us. But I think they were done in a way where people felt like their voices were heard um, we had the teleconference. We were all alone there. And so we still had the public comment um, component of our meetings um, where people would have to dial uh, pound or star and five, and then they would be connected to speak on uh, every agenda item. So it still happened 
Uh, it just wasn't that face-to-face interaction. Uh, there were a lot of discussions that needed more context and for understanding. And I don't think that it took in consideration learning styles because everybody doesn't learn via, um, via listening. Some people need to see it and do it. And so uh, those were some limitations to how we um, had our meetings. And have there been any conversations at your council level about changing significant systems within the city or looking at infrastructure or building codes in a different way as you all prepare for life as things open back up? I'll give an example of why I asked. So there's been a lot of debate in LA about um, changing or adapting or scrapping building codes that require restaurants to have basically three times the amount of square footage for parking that they uh, would have in terms of square footage to the actual restaurant, where we're seeing other cities internationally donate or or not donate, um, uh, change the parking space and put tables out there because then you can do social distancing with tables much easier and you can keep restaurants open and, and hopefully thriving. Uh, but that for us would be a big building code change and would kind of get to the heart of LA car culture with, for some reason, people want to protect. Are you all having any of those kind of discussions where you're looking at maybe some some long-term patterns that this might be the moment to, to break for the better? Yeah, so it actually honestly came prior to COVID um, and the pandemic occurring where we talked about reducing um, lot sizes, uh, reducing parking spaces, Mm -hmm. um, just because being that minimalistic city and being mindful of being more of a walkable city, uh, we don't need as much space, uh, especially for parking, as we have had in the past just because of some of our studies uh, where that has seemed to be what the community wanted. Uh, as it relates to COVID um, and like post-pandemic planning, we haven't really discussed um, honestly what that looks like. What we have been doing is trying to, I think the immediate need for us has just been making sure that our businesses that we currently have are going to stay businesses and um, be sustained after um, has been a priority for us um, because we know a lot of our business took real, real big um, financial blows due to the pandemic. Um, and then a lot of them were not able to receive some of the funding um, that was available. It ran out prior to. And so we haven't talked more, more so as code, as more so as, as how can we financially sustain these businesses or keeping these businesses? And what if business closes? Um, the business closes, what is the impact that it's going to have on our budget, on the revenue that we receive uh, as a city, and like what altering or changes are we going to have to make for that? Great. Listen, I'm glad you're an elected. I'm glad you're holding down the fort there, and thanks for all you're doing to, to be a progressive in a state that doesn't always have the greatest progressive track record, so thanks for all you're doing, and thanks everyone for listening to this episode of The Zag. You can catch all past episodes, and there's been some great ones that have dropped this week with other, other NLC alums who are doing important inspirational work on the COVID front lines across the country. Check those out. All the places you get your podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, they're all there. And until next time, we'll catch you soon. <laughs>